Mindfulness Mode 95. I don't think there's anything wrong with doing your best to empty your mind and focusing on one particular thought. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm, focused, and happy. Hey, Mindful Tribe. Thanks for joining us. As an appreciation for listening, I have a meditation infographic for you called Calm Your Busy Mind. This download focuses on breathing, exercise, and mantras. Get your copy at mindfulnessmode.com slash calm, C-A-L-M. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm totally thrilled to have Nick Snap on the line today. Hey, Nick, are you in mindfulness mode? I try to be in mindfulness mode every moment of my life, but I'm not so successful all the time. But right now, Bruce, I am totally in mindfulness mode. Awesome. That's great. Nick Snap is an engineer, productivity strategist, and podcaster. He combines productivity with purpose for entrepreneurial moms and dads who want their time back. He provides innovative coaching, training, and consulting services for entrepreneurs who want to get the right things done. He's also host of the Make It Snappy Productivity Show podcast. Nick's faith fuels his love for people, culture, language learning, and his passion for working productively and living deliberately. So Nick, tell us about mindfulness and productivity. What does mindfulness mean to you and how does it relate to productivity? Oh man, there are so many arms to mindfulness, just like productivity. I mean, people make their own impressions and thoughts of what productivity means. And I think of the same thing with mindfulness. So like with productivity, you could be talking about efficiency or focus or getting things done, you know, checking things off your list, maybe being accountable or learning how to say no, like all these different things that could be wrapped up in productivity. And I think of mindfulness the same way. Um, for me, there's two main parts of mindfulness and one is knowing your why. And it just, for for me, it goes hand in hand with productivity because I've always talked about like, there's no need or reason to be productive if there's no purpose behind it, if it's not rooted in the foundation of purpose. And I look at mindfulness, if you know your why, you certainly know your purpose and your reasons for wanting to be productive. This is great. What do you see as your purpose, Nick? For me, I want to be a better father and husband and everything that I do is rooted in, okay, how much time am I spending in my vocation and what is that taking away from as a father and a husband? Okay. So my purpose is overlying and I'm I'm a Christian, so serving God is my purpose. But if I'm not serving God through my family, then I'm not doing a very good job. Uh, pursuing my purpose. So So what are the ways that you see you could be better? Because better is a pretty generic word. You want to be a better father, a better husband. What do you see as being better? What will make you better? I love that. Okay, so I'm an engineer too. So I love the fact that you keyed in on that word because better is not a metric you can measure, is it? No, it isn't. (laughs) So yeah, so better for me is I help people get their time back. That's why I'm passionate about productivity. I worked in corporate America for 14 years for a couple of different fortune 500 companies. And I was just routinely used to seeing people kind of floating through the halls, mm-hmm. going through life, trying to get to the end of the day, trying to get to the weekend. It just seems a lot of times, not for everybody, obviously, but a lot of times it's very shallow and hollow. 
And I didn't want that for my life and I don't want that for other people's lives. So I, you just get caught in this just comfortable, uh, hamster wheel of a, of a life. And, and I, I want to help people have a reasonable work. I I don't want to go into the Jim Eric phrase about work-life balance, but for me, I'm doing my job as being a better father and a better husband when I can get all the right things done for my business in less than 40 hours a week. That the majority of my time is spent with my family, not in my work. And I've seen so many people just get wrapped up with just working so much and not really understanding the reasons, just wanting to go and work their way up the corporate ladder, not asking their why. And eventually you have 20 years that just kind of pass by and there's not that like that inner fulfillment. And I want to help people use productivity to, to get that fulfillment, to get that purpose. Well, that's a really noble cause, Nick. And, uh, you know, because that does help people improve their lives immensely in a very concrete way. So what do you think is the single best productivity hack to improve your life? Well, it's a it's it's more of a, a lifestyle than it is a, a hack. You know, I, I think yeah. it with, with the most effective productivity uh, strategy is learning to be an essentialist, learning how to say no uh, by far. And it's the most difficult practice to implement. And I think that you can talk about productivity for for me. I, I have enough to obviously have a podcast and all these different things that are related to productivity in business because it's so difficult for people to understand really what is essential. What are the right things to work on? Mm-hmm. And working people through that process is almost by definition mindful because you, it forces you to think about, well, why am I doing the things that I'm doing and what results am I Am I trying to go after? And what are all those tasks, all those peripheral items that are are getting in the way that might not necessarily be essential? And it's a it's a skill that needs to almost be trained like a muscle, like mindfulness, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So at any given moment, I should be able to say, hey, what am I doing and how is this contributing to what I want to achieve in life? Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. that makes sense. It, and if you're not having those thoughts or if you're just kind of doing things because you think you should, um, it's it's not like you don't want to beat yourself up over that sort of thing because it's just the, the mode of operation for most people. We don't put a lot of thought into the why. I'm an engineer, Bruce. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think about data. I don't, yeah. I don't think about the why I, why I think the way that I do. You know, my wife is a counselor. She's got like a social work, public health type background. So she likes to ask those questions. And I've learned uh, over time being a project manager and getting people to rally around a cause and now being a productivity coach, I've learned the value. I'm just so just grateful to understand the value of the why, because my career up until about 10 years ago, or well, the first 10 years of my career, I didn't put a lot of thought in that. I just thought about, okay, here's the process. This is what's making it more efficient. This is how you're going to get the task done that you've assigned me to get to get done as an engineer. I never asked why we want to do that, you know, right, yeah. until, until further down the line as I matured mm-hmm. and learned more about business and, and, uh, the adverse outcomes of not thinking about your why on not only people, but processes and, and, and your business as a whole. So I think that just all aspects of, of life can be wrapped around that, that why. Yeah, I really think so. Well, you mentioned you're a Christian, so let's talk about Christianity and mindfulness and, you know, prayer slash meditation. Let's talk about that. What form does meditation take in your life? Does it take the form of prayer? I think it does. I mean, I, I struggle. This is a tricky one for a Christian because you know, as an entrepreneur, 
there's a lot of talk about meditation and um, not a lot of talk about how that ties in with the Christian lifestyle because, you know, Silicon Valley and stuff is, I don't see, that's usually where a lot of this content comes out of. Um, and there's not a lot of focus on religion and, and your faith, mm-hmm. but more, more so of, of meditation and freeing your mind and more secular type practices. And so I was like, man, if I start embracing a, a form of meditation, am I somehow going against my faith? I, it was, it was just a, a, a weird process I had to go through to, to come to terms with how, how meditation practice would affect me. Right. Do you think you have come to terms with it? I think I have. Yeah. I, it comes down to me. It's, it's how do you quiet your mind? And I don't think there's anything wrong with doing your best to empty your mind and focusing on one particular thought or breathing. Um, it, it takes practice. And, and for me, uh, prayer takes practice. And if you're, you're focusing your mind on, on one thing, maybe it's God. Like for, for me being a Christian, it, it's God a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, your mind will wander. So those muscles that you're using, typically used with meditation where you're focusing on the breathing, the same thing goes with prayer. You, it's it's a it's a conscious effort to think about what you're doing and and who you're talking to, without kind of going off into wherever the mind might go. So I think developing that muscle definitely makes um, makes us all more conscious of of uh, the reasons why we're doing the things we're doing, uh, what strategies we can develop. That that it's not in the conscious; it just kind of bubbles up to the surface for me when I when I meditate and I, I pray. And here's the funny thing, Bruce. Uh, I think a, a big tangent, but if you if you go to the Psalms and the Bible, it, it says meditate on God's word every day. So the, the fact that yeah. you know your meditation is kind of used that word is used right there in in the Bible. So I, there's definitely a, a fantastic relationship um, between prayer and meditation. I, I don't think they need to to be too polar opposite, like, like a dichotomy sort of thing. I think they can be used, uh, together. So what does prayer look like for you, Nick? Mm. I, I do my best prayer outside as a practice that, um, I started doing probably two years ago where I just, I struggled being inside of a room or getting on my knees or whatever. It just wasn't something that I, um, I felt like it was the best form for me. So I started just going outside and, and walking, and looking up at the stars, and I was able to kind of feel like I was able to focus more on God in that in that respect, and being able to clear out my mind and not not have that because I have an active mind, a hugely active mind, and to quiet that down is, is a big challenge for me. I think when I first started talking, you asked me the question. I thought mindfulness kind of for me had two different, at least two different arms, but one was uh, the why, and the two was quieting the mind, and the second part uh, was. And, and still is a challenge for me. So do you, pr- do you pray out loud or do you pray to yourself? I usually pray in a whisper because when I pray to myself, I tend to go off into whatever direction I might be. But when I'm just trying, so prayer can come into a lot of different forms. You know, there's, there's conversation and there's also listening. And how do you listen? How do you listen to God? Uh, it's, it's a very difficult thing to do. And, and you can't necessarily listen if you're talking all the time. So I think the closest form, um, to like standard, uh, what is it? TNM meditation, uh, where you kind of do the, the chant. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Uh, I can't. Yeah. At, I think the closest form to the, those, those types of meditation where you're focusing on your breath or, or TNM or whatever it is, yeah. is, is, is trying to listen to God mm-hmm. and trying to focus on that voice. I think it's the same men, mentality really, uh, just, just quieting your mind so that you can be open to listening. 
Yeah, I think so. So I'm interested in your career as an engineer. When you were an engineer, did you think about mindfulness or did you take time to try to quiet your brain and get focused? Was that an issue? Yes, it, it absolutely was. I, as an engineer, I started my career uh, in a cubicle, which is horrible for anybody trying to get anything done. Yeah. Uh, I worked up to an office and then I went to corporate and I got back to a cubicle. So I, I learned that I had to develop hacks. We talk about hacks, different ways to um, figure out how I could better focus on what's important. So I became very adept towards the end of my career at, at sort of hacking corporate in that I didn't spend a lot of time at my desk. I figured I figured out other ways to get my work done away away from my desk, either hiding in a conference room or at a coffee shop or or some way to um, to develop a culture within my my group that um, wasn't dependent on my physical presence. I had a team of seven people. And one of the things I learned from mindfulness is that uh, I didn't think of it as the, as mindfulness at the time, but when people would come by and ask me questions about some sort of fire they're trying to put out, I would get completely thrown off and it would take me a long time to come back to, to terms with what I was working on. And if you get distracted over and over like that, uh, you're, you're, you just sort of prime your mind for inefficiency and, um, and just a lot of waste, I guess. So I, I guess was mindful enough to think my team needs me and I need to give them time, but this is not my best time. When they come by, I get annoyed. I look at them like, you know, why do you bother me? (laughs) trying to get them away from my desk. It's just not, it doesn't suit anybody any good. So I ended up giving my team every Friday morning, half my team, uh, I spent an hour to an hour and a half with me every Friday morning. And then the next week, the other half would spend an hour, an hour and a half with me. So they got that focused, dedicated time that they needed one-on-one. And I was able to, uh, to serve them with whatever they need uninhibited, you know, not without the, the different pressures. And it was very, very rare that I had to miss one of those meetings. And if I did, I'd make it up on another day. Uh, but that was their time. And the distractions of at least my team approaching me at Cubicle and stuff like that, virtually, I wouldn't say they'd be eliminated, but there was, they were more mindful that, look, this is, this is just Nick's mode of operation. You know, he doesn't like necessarily working in his cubicle. He's not always going to be here, but if I need him, I know I can reach him, but it's just kind of on my terms. You know, they, they knew that if they, if they call me, it was an emergency. If they email me, they realize that I might not get back to him in 48 hours. Like those sort of boundaries right. that I set was my way to, to be mindful of one, how did I operate best? How could I add the most value to the company? And then how could I add, add the most value to my team and find a synthesis between the way I worked and what they needed? I think that was was kind of how I utilized that. Yeah, that's really interesting, Nick. Let's switch gears and talk about how you utilize mindfulness as a dad, because mm-hmm. sometimes our kids can really be a challenge. How do you do that? I think, yeah, the, it sure can be a challenge. Uh, there's a couple of things that come to mind. Uh, as a dad, kids, they need us. They need us more than our, our team at work needs us. And, and they need our just focused 100% in the moment time. And if you're on your phone, they notice and they get annoyed and they start acting up. I've noticed that big yeah. time. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you're not paying attention, if you're half paying attention, they notice and they call you out. That's the thing I love about kids is they are not afraid to call you out. It's, it's no, fantastic. They're definitely not. <laughs> but, and the thing I had actually, um, wrote a blog post on it recently. Cause I was thinking about on the weekends, you know, we work hard all week and especially if you're working for somebody else as an employee, you work hard all week and then you have things that you need to get done around the house on the weekends. And 
you haven't you have a choice to make. You could sit your kids down in front of the TV and have that TV be their babysitter for uh, however long it takes you to get whatever it is you need to get done around the house. They get antsy. They start acting up. They start wrecking things. That's just kind of how kids are when they don't have your attention. Or instead of just trying to get done whatever task it is you need to get done or, or project, for me, I, I was doing a, a couple different projects come to mind. I was building like a breakfast nook in the kitchen. Right. And mm-hmm. another one, I was, re, I was refurbishing an old play set and making it like new. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, it takes a lot longer, Bruce, but if you take the time to give your kids a job that they can own, you take the time to explain to them what you're doing, let them use the drill or uh, the pneumatic nailer or whatever it is, obviously supervise and make sure that everything's safe. For sure. It, it's going to extend the task. It's going to extend the task maybe three, four times longer than it would you just knocking it out. But that experience that the kids receive from one, your attention and two, just learning to have the confidence to do these sort of projects on their own. That's invaluable. I mean, you're teaching your kids all kinds of cool lessons from that. And I, I've been a lot more mindful as a dad to look, these kids need me. I know I need to get things done, but both my wife and I can't be running around the house on the weekends trying to get things done. One of us needs to give these kids, at least one of us, preferably both of us, the attention they need. Um, on the weekends and, and, and during the night because they're, they're only going to be small once, you know, and they're, they're only going to be in the house for what, 18 years and, and they're gone. And then you're kind of left with however you, you prep them. <laughs> yeah, those, you're right. 18 years. That time goes past very, very quickly. So let's talk about yeah. screens with children. I know that a lot of kids love to watch, well, it could be TV. It could be, you know, YouTube. It could be games on some kind of a device on an iPod or iPad, I should say. Do you have your children on some of these devices? And if so, how do you help them to control the amount of time they're spending on these, these devices? Yes, and that's been another experience for us. Learning experience is that you, you always, we always, my wife and I always set a timer with how long they're going to be on. They have, they have guidelines, or we have guidelines for how long they can spend on those things. They love them. They eat mm-hmm. them up, and some of them are really educational. They're, they're, he's practicing. Our oldest is six. Mm-hmm. He practices addition and subtraction, and there's a lot of great learning games. But there's something yeah. about that screen oh. that after about thirty to forty-five minutes, they start going a little bit cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and yeah. <laughs> uh, and the recognition of that state of mind and our kids before it happens is really, really important. And one thing that would help us is we'll always give them a warning, you know, okay, guys, you have five minutes left to wrap up whatever it is. And they start changing the way they think. And when we take the time to give them that, that extra five minutes, like instead of just saying, okay, guys, it's done. They are so much more receptive to shutting it down. Um, and then, so it's just a skill that we've developed over time to, to limit that amount of time. And, um, I think they probably get after school, they'll probably get maybe 30 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. I, I lose my childcare at 4 PM, except with the exception of right now, because we just had a newborn at home. So my wife's actually taken 16 weeks off, but uh, right. <laughs> a normal mode of operation is my mother-in-law is here. She takes care of, uh, takes care of the kids or the ones that aren't in school. Right. And at 4 PM she's gone. So my responsibility is going to take over and my day ends. Like it's a, it's a hard stop for me, but I've, I've noticed that if I just, if she leaves and I just jump right in, it's, it's almost a shock to the system. So there needs to be a little bit of a transition. So it's, it's almost like that, the same heads up sort of mentality. Hey guys, I'm going to finish up this thing for work for the next 20 minutes or so. I know you guys are playing. looks like you're having a good time. 
20 minutes, I'm going to come out here and see what, you, and we're going to start some homework. You know, that just, I think it's just advanced warning and they almost feel like they're part of the decision. You know, like the, it's all like a negotiation. And at least my oldest, he is such, he's a really, he's a super, super smart, mm-hmm. uh, but also very, very stubborn. So he wants to have that say, you know, sure. we realized that, that, okay, if we give him some sort of choices or opportunities to have a say in the, in the situation that he does a lot better and the meltdowns are a lot less frequent. Yeah. Yeah. I find that too. It really makes a difference to give kids a chance to make decisions and to have a say like, like that for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, you, you probably know I've worked in bullying prevention some for some time and I find that mindfulness can be something that can really help kids or adults who have been bullied. Do you have a story involving bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? Yeah, the thing that came in came in mind for me was, um, you know, I grew up in a, a pretty good area, you know, mm-hmm. fairly well-to-do kids, and uh, the thing that was just rampant that I noticed when when I was growing up, especially in like middle school, was the cliques. Mm-hmm. Um, these these just the people just wanted to hang out with their little posse or their little clique, mm-hmm. and um, there was a lot of. Um, looking down on kids that didn't necessarily have that click. And I'm not sure what it, what my parents instilled in me or um, I, what values that I think they, they were just very good at, about keeping an open mind with, um, with people that were not like us. You know, if, if they were very open to, um, to helping people that, that weren't necessarily in our circle. So I, right. I was always, for some reason, a, attracted to people who were different from me. Mm-hmm. I, I tended to gravitate towards people of different cultures and, and even different languages um, versus what I saw people of my um, upbringing stuff would, would kind of uh, cluster together. Mm-hmm. I, I, I always wanted to kind of branch out, but I was still I was still associated with some of those people, but the fact that I wouldn't um, embed myself in those cliques really helped with me and it kind of helped. It's almost like it's almost like with productivity when you say no. Um, in this case, for bullying, I said no to kind of being in a clique. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more respect there. They're like, no, I. They they wanted me to be part of their circle, but yeah, Nick's cool with me, but he's not. I'm not the only one he hangs out with. He's also cool with this other person. I remember, <laughs> and I'm just kind of get get a little bit off track. I remember I used to take a guy to school in high school. He used to wear the same suit every day. Oh yeah. He was, he was, he was an alternative guy and he, great guy. Um, yeah. I, I, I love, he grew up in my neighborhood just in every day he wore the same suit, which is kind of weird. He's a, he's an artistic yeah. guy. Yeah. And for me being kind of a jock, um, I used to be a little bit made, made fun of for that, you know, yeah. like what are you doing hanging out with this guy? And I, I remember just being just real adamant about, no, I'm not going to let these kids tell me who I could hang out with. And I don't know if it's like a, a uh, wanting to control or just uh, be different in the situation or whatever. But I found that like the more, um, I, tr- I, the more I didn't fall into that trap mm-hmm. of clicks, um, the less I was susceptible to, to being bullied because I, I was trying, I was being very, um, conscious about knowing the different, the different types of people that were around school mm-hmm. and, and at least having someone within each group that I could relate to, which it was almost like it, it, it protected me in some way. And I, I'm kind of thinking through these things as I'm talking to you about mm-hmm. it, but I, w- I wasn't really bullied as a kid, but I saw so many people that were because they didn't, um, 
they didn't have, I guess, that support system, um, a, a large enough cross section of kids that they hung out with or whatever to, to stand up for them. You know, they were kind of in isolation. So I think I, I was really good at keeping myself away from, from being in isolation, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. That's a great story. You know, I could just see you with that, you know, walking to school or whatever with that kid and just being there to kind of give him some support. So that's really awesome. Nick, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? You know, I, I always go back to Tim Ferriss. Um, I, for whatever reason, he had such an impact. Um, when he first came out the four-hour work week, and I started following some of his other work and the people that he was following, like he was the first person that I think really started getting me thinking about um, the why. I think I really started. Uh, he he came kind of hot and heavy around 2007. That that really got the wheels turning. So, so how has mindfulness affected your emotions? It causes me to take a pause than rather than just act. It's not about just getting things done for me anymore. It's about getting the right things done. So tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. If I really get worked up, I think 10 deep breaths is a really good strategy for me to, to calm down. Uh, so paying attention to the breath is an important thing. But like I said earlier, most of my focus when I'm in some sort of meditation, I try to keep it on, on God. Mm-hmm. If you could recommend a book on mindfulness, what would that be? Essentialism by Greg McCown. Oh, yeah. Great book. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? Oh, Bruce, this, there's so many. Uh, but A Time Logger 2 is an app that I use to basically track every moment of my life because I, and here comes the engineer in me again, is that I go back to the data. How much time am I really spending doing certain tasks? And what are those tasks doing for me? Because it's hard for me consciously to recognize how much time I'm doing certain things. So I actually track it. Mm-hmm. So that, that would be probably one that you m- might not think about for mindfulness. I, headspace and mm-hmm. calm and stuff I have used. But that where if you're really diligent about going through the data, and, and it's, it's very helpful. What advice would you give a person who is new to the idea of mindfulness and they'd like to start using it in their life? I would say st- Start with the why, for sure. Um, if you had all the money in the world, I love this question, but if you had all the money in the world and everything you're doing, money's not a factor anymore, what do you do? What do yeah. you do with that time? And, and if you can get to that point, it just opens doors for you because you start thinking consciously, well, do I really need the money to do these things? Yeah, it is. It's a great way to, it's a great way to think about it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it really is. Yeah, Nick, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you today and learn about how you think about mindfulness from the viewpoint of being an engineer, from the viewpoint of being a dad, and of course, an entrepreneur as well. So if we want to connect with you and learn more about what you do, how do we do that? Well, I'm pretty active on Twitter. At The Snappy Show is my Twitter handle. I have a podcast myself called the make it snappy productivity show and my name is nick snap so there's a little play off my last name if you didn't <laughs> didn't notice um, and email would not be actually we could probably do a whole mindfulness uh episode on my thoughts on email <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, but i i definitely i think that email is one of those things that you you really need to be mindful for how you plug into it and there's a lot of different ways that we can be mindful of how we, we make the best use of email that's a bit of a passion of mine as well mm-hmm. 
So, but actually, uh, hit me up on, on Twitter. My website is makeitsnappyshow.com, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on all this. Well, that's just great. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Nick. Hope the rest of your day is great and product and uh, very productive. Likewise, Bruce. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, see ya. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. In appreciation, I'll mention you at the top of an upcoming show. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.